My title, title of my message is, he's not here, he is risen. Let's get to what I do best, all right? Let's get... So, he's not here, he is risen. That should be the most encouraging news. That, that statement, that statement that was made, it changed all history. You know, there, there, there were certain moments in, in history that have been recorded not only in the Bible, but in, in um, historic documents throughout time. Certain words that were spoken that revealed the, the heart, the will, and the purposes of God in each generation that came through. And they were recorded by men and women of old, but not just biblical. And those words, he's not here, he is risen, changes the culture changes the, the, the whole platform of life. Because if Jesus hadn't right, been raised from the dead, the Bible clearly says we would be of all men most pitiful. And we're going to look at that scripture a little bit later, but I just really want to allow those thoughts. He's not here. He is risen. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives... I know that he heals my body. Because he lives, I know that I'm redeemed. I've been bought with a price. I am separated from the things of this world. And I've been brought into relationship with God. Because he lives, it changes everything. And I just, you know, that, that, the whole thought this week's just been permeating in my heart. For some people, they, they look at this Easter week as a great opportunity to have time off from work or to get away on holiday. And it is. There's nothing wrong with having a week off from work. I'm off on holiday. We're off on holiday next week. We're just going to go out days and do a few things and just enjoy the rain. <laughs> so I should have had this week off. Not... But, hey, you know, for some they call it Holy Week. And it is a Holy Week. But it's not just a holy week because it's the time when Jesus died. I don't know about you, but every week's a holy week for me. I don't just get holy because it's holy week. I don't just go to church because it's now holy week. I, every week's a holy week because he lives. And he lives in me. But then we go on and, and, and it, this holy week or Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday. And then we've got the passion of Christ. Not the movie but what he endured and what he went through. And it's those thoughts that I really want to focus on this morning. Not just that he rose, but that he suffered. It's great that we can rejoice in knowing that he lives. But actually, sometimes we need to remember also the journey in which he went through. Nearly 2,000 years ago, history marked this occasion of the illegal arrest, the unlawful trial and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's historic. It's not taught in schools. It's not taught, you know, in schools, he, he's a myth. He is a legend. He's, he's as good as Robin Hood in schools. But you know what? He was a living being who walked the planet, who did incredible things and changed all history forever. He is and was the son of the living God and will always be. And nothing that this world tries to do to rub out history is going to happen. 
The passion of Christ refers to the overwhelming suffering that Jesus endured for our redemption, our forgiveness, and our salvation. And I want to read just a portion. If you want to read Isaiah 53 on your own this week, it's just, Isaiah 53 is just such a powerful scripture revealing all that Jesus was going to go through. And that scripture is written six to eight hundred years before he ever took a breath and lived on this earth. And it was so accurate. But in Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, we're just going to highlight this particular scripture. The Bible says here, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. It means, the word satisfied means to be complete, or the fullness of. There's no need to add anything further. He shall see and be satisfied. The word labor means an overpayment was made. When Jesus died at the cross, an overpayment, an overpayment. When you think of all the millions, the billions of people on planet earth today and throughout history, Jesus, in this week of, or these few days of suffering, he endured an overpayment required to forgive you and all mankind of all sin for all time. Jesus couldn't die. Let me, send that, let me throw that out as a shock statement. Jesus couldn't die because he hadn't sinned. If Jesus had sinned, he would be mortal just like you and I. But he was the sinless, spotless son of God who could not die. He had to give up his spirit. Think of all the things that you've done wrong and the penalty of sin that we've built up personally. Then you multiply it by everyone in this room because everybody in the room is far worse than you are. (laughs) Then you go outside the four walls of the building and think of everybody in the world. Jesus couldn't die. He just took upon the sin of the world, everybody's sin, upon himself. There was an overpayment being made. And we're going to look at what that overpayment was because he couldn't die until he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It's a shocking thought. If you let this permeate in your thinking, if you have a sealer moment and you consider that, it is shocking what Jesus went through. Jesus travailed and suffered in order that we might be born again. That our redemption, the purchase price, the purchase price paid in full, enabling us to once again have true fellowship with God. Hebrews 2 verse 3 says, not to neglect so great a salvation. Unfortunately, I'd say right across this room, we at times, or maybe most of the time, 
we forget or neglect such a great salvation. If we didn't, we would live for God 24 hours a day, every day of the week, every moment of our lives. But we neglect how great a salvation that we have. So the passion of Christ starts with the agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus' sweat began to be mingled with blood as he prayed in anguish, Lord, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup, let that which I'm about to endure, if there's any other way, Lord, if there's any other way, let it pass. Because he knew that the taking of the world's sin would separate him from his father. This is huge. This is such a huge moment. And the medical term for this is hemomatohydrosis. And it's a medical term where huge amounts of stress begin to take its toll on the, on the body. And I think it's really interesting that Luke, out of the four writers of the gospel, is only Luke, who not only is a disciple of Jesus, but he's a physician. He's a doctor. And he knew and saw what was taking place and was able to medically declare what was taking place. And Jesus, the the sweat of his brow, he began to sweat great drops of blood. That anguish, he took that anguish so that you wouldn't have to live in anguish. He took that pain so that you and I wouldn't have to take that pain. It's called the great exchange. What took place at the, co- at the cross is the great exchange. We are here and we should have had it all. But he said, look, you can't do anything about it, but I can. So I'm stepping into your place. That's why when it talks about the crucifixion, that we died in Christ at the crucifixion. He took our place. And here in this moment... In Luke 22, verse 44, the Bible says, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Then we move on from that particular moment when Jesus is arrested, illegally and falsely arrested. It says that the begins the, be- the beatings that he endured from the Roman soldiers as they hit him, and they plucked his beard from his face. And then they made him wear a crown of thorns. The crown of thorns, very clearly, was a form of torture that was used by anybody that turned around and said, I believe that I'm a king or I am a Caesar. And it was a form of execution. And they would They would cut off a a fresh branch at the beginning of the day with with thorns of that size. They would plait it. They would beat it onto the head. And as the heat of the day increased, those spikes would penetrate the mind and the head of the person. And it was a form of execution. But he couldn't die. This is where it's just so amazing. He couldn't die because he hadn't given up his spirit. And what you and I would have, and anybody else at that time, they would have died through that form of execution. He couldn't do it. They plucked out his beard. I don't know if you've ever had your beard pulled by a little child, and it's like, oh, it's like, that hurts. 
but they would literally pull his beard from his face and beat him with a reed. It's just he couldn't die. Then they took him to be flogged in the north of Pilate's palace by the guardhouse. A Roman scourging is an incredibly brutal punishment and most prisoners died at the post in which they were flogged or scourged. And what would happen is it would be like a cat and nine tails. It would have pieces of glass or bronze or metal and then they would flog them. Uh, usually for 39 stripes, but there was no clarity to what took place with Jesus. But they would beat him with these stripes. And the Bible is very clear in Isaiah 52. If you read Isaiah 52, one of the verses in there says that his visage didn't even represent that of a man. He didn't even take on the form of a man. When you've been beaten with a whip like that, you die. 39 stripes, 40th, the 40th stripe by historic value is that anyone who had the 40th stripe would die immediately. And very often they say that during this flogging, the scourging, not only would, the, would, would it rip the skin from your back and all over, but actually it would begin to reveal not only the arteries and the veins, but also the bodily organs. But he could not die. By his stripes, we are healed. It's just, as you look at it more and more, you think, he couldn't die. He couldn't be taken by man. He had to say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Then he gave up the ghost, and he died. So Matthew 27 verse 26 we read these words then he released Barabbas to them and when they had scourged Jesus he delivered him to be crucified and finally to the place of Golgotha to his death by crucifixion at Calvary and we all know what took place at Calvary as Jesus was nailed to the cross and his body was beaten his brow was affected by the, the, the crown of thorns that was on his head. And there Jesus hung on a cross for you and I. Cursed, the Bible says, is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus became cursed. In other words, our sin was placed upon him. And he died in mine in your place. The great exchange. My sin for his rightness, his rightness for my sin. How grateful are we for our salvation? How grateful that he, the spotless son of the Lamb of God, would take my place and that through praying a very simple prayer and acknowledging Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, then walking in his ways, See, it's not just praying the prayer that saves you. It's walking in his ways and having a personal relationship with him where we walk with him and we talk with him and we interact with him. He comes alive in our heart. That moment of salvation 
changes your life forever. Popping up your hand and popping it back down at the end of a service, that won't change your life. But it is the first step. And I want to give everybody that first step. That if you've never known Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, yeah, pray that prayer. Pray the sinner's prayer. Put up your hand. Pop it back down. Be, give the, be given the information to help you grow in your relationship with God, but it will change your life as you continue to walk with him. So he, he's led to Golgotha. He's, he's then crucified. He then speaks out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, had the princes of this world known it's an incredible passage of scripture. The Bible says, had the princes of this world known, had the demonic forces of this world known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. They would never have done it because it was through the cross that we have life. It's through the cross that we have forgiveness. It's through the cross that we have newness, newness of, of walk with him. It's, it's, it, the cross was the, it's literally the crossroads of, of, of eternity for every single one of us. If Jesus, in that moment when he was crying out, Lord, not my will, and then that moment where, Lord, if there was any other way, if he'd said, I, I've got to go, for, I've got, I'm looking for another way. He was at a crossroads moment. And he chose to go the will of God, not my will, but yours be done in my life. I'm going to go through the cross so that others will know you. It was an incredible turnaround moment. And he did it for you. Hannah, he did it for you. If you were the only person, and it goes for every one of us, if you were the only person alive on earth that had ever done anything wrong, he would have done it all for you because he loves you, he wants a relationship with you, and he wants you to be a part of his kingdom. There was an overpayment made recorded in Isaiah, and that was to take away the sin of the world. A guy called Cornelius Tacticus, he was born in AD 56 and died in AD 120. Now, I, I thank the Lord that there are recorded writings of these guys. This guy was a first-century historian, and um, he's recognized throughout all the historic individuals. And, and this is what was written about Tacticus. Tacticus was regarded as one of Rome's greatest historians of the time. It is said that Tacticus referenced or reference to the execution of Jesus by Pontius Pilate is both authentic and of historic value as an independent Roman source. The Roman guys, the Roman historians, nothing to do with the church, nothing to do with the Jesus disciples, history was recording Jesus was crucified by Pilate. How about Flavius Josephus? He was born in 37 AD, to, and he lived to 100 AD. Josephus wrote in his Antiquities 18, verse 63 to 64. It's all in his book. I haven't got it, but it's all in his book. And he says this, About Jesus as being the Christ who died under Pilate and who rose on the third day and appeared alive to people. He's writing this as a historic document of what he was a witness to by a generation, one generation prior to his living. 
I love the fact that when Jesus appeared, resurrected from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people who saw him, who heard him, who touched him, who had a recollection. This is Jesus who died. This is Jesus who rose again. I tell you what, you may be able to fake it with a few people, but you're not going to fake it with 500 people. And those 500 people were running around when Josephus was alive recording these things. So I saw him. I heard him. I touched him. I encountered him. It is true. And they were life witnesses. And remember, at this time, Christians were being burnt at the stake for their faith in Jesus Christ. And yet they were still recording. And this is what he goes on to say. He says this. In the same passage, he mentions that Christians were still thriving in his day and age. They were thriving. Nero was killing them, but they were thriving. Why? Because what they encountered so changed their lives. Our Christian faith, yours and mine, our Christian faith hinges, it stands, and it falls on this one thing, that Jesus rose from the dead. And I want to read a passage of scripture. It's a long passage, but this passage of scripture, it, either, it will either cause you to pack up your bags and say, well, I've been severely mistaken about Christianity and you'll never come back to church. Or you'll say, I am so convinced I'm going to live full on for him. Are you ready for this passage? 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through to 22. And this is Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He was addressing some of the people who were saying, oh, Jesus isn't risen from the dead. You know, when you think how many Christians, how many people were getting born again, having a realization of Jesus. Remember, this is, this is not long after all these things had happened. And there were, there were Pharisees and there were Sadducees who were getting born again. There were the Roman, the Roman soldiers getting born again. There were there were Pilate's household getting born again. They were, they were just, Christianity was exploding like wildfire. And when you think the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Pharisees believed in, in um, the resurrection. But the Sadducees, they didn't believe in a resurrection. And they were getting born again, but they, 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 couldn't, they couldn't get over the fact that their religious teaching had taught them that there is no resurrection. That's why they are sad, you see. There we go. Sorry, I had to get that one in there somewhere. I had to. Anyway, let's go back to the scripture, all right? Someone's going to wake up tonight and think, oh, that was funny. First Corinthians 15, it says, and this is Paul teaching, he said, but now if Christ the Messiah is preached as raised from the dead, how is it that some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. It amounts to nothing. And your faith is devoid of truth and is fruitless, without effect, empty, imaginary, and unfounded. We are even discovered to be misrepresenting God. For we testify of him that he is raised that he did raise Christ, in whom he did not raise, in case it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is mere delusion, futile, fruitless, and you are still in your sins under the control and the penalty of sin. And further, those who have died in spiritual fellowship and union with Christ have also perished and are lost. If we who are abiding in Christ have hope only in this life, and that is all, then we are of all people most miserable and to be pitied. But the fact is, Christ the Messiah has been raised from the dead, and he became the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep in death. For since it was through a man that death came into the world, Adam, it is also through a man, the last Adam, Jesus, that the resurrection of the, of the dead has come. For just as because of their union of nature in Adam all people died, so also by virtue of their union of nature shall all who are in Christ be made alive. The resurrection of Jesus is pivotal. The resurrection of Jesus is is the central theme of our Christian faith. Paul was speaking about that in the Corinthian church. And I'm still saying that in the 21st century in family church. The resurrection of Jesus is pivotal. It it either rises or falls. It either is or it isn't. If he hasn't risen from the dead, let's go home and enjoy a bank holiday weekend. If he is risen from the dead, let's shout it from the rooftops. Let's declare it. He is risen and he lives forevermore. That is our hope. That is what we live for. That is who our Savior is. He's not dead. He is alive forevermore. The resurrection of Jesus shows that death is defeated. Death is not an end to life. It is a corridor into newness of life. For anybody that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it is a corridor to eternal death. But for us who believe in the resurrection of Jesus and we put our trust in him, it is the way and the corridor to newness of life and life forevermore with him. This is why our message is so important to our loved ones, our our neighbors, our friends, to those that we come in contact with. They need to hear that Jesus is alive and he loves them and cares for them and has that wants them to be with him forever. Over this Easter period of when Jesus died and his resurrection, there was all sorts of things going on in people's lives There was all sorts of moments of confusion. There was all sorts of moments where where people just didn't know what to make of what had happened. For Mary, she thinks that the body has been stolen. She gets there and they've stolen my Lord and my Savior. They've stolen him from the grave. You know, you, you can't, you know, Jesus has spoken about his resurrection, but, but when the evidence is before them, they, they, they think he's, gonna, he's been stolen. For, for Peter, he, he, he runs down to the, the tomb. He, he, he st- stands there and the body's gone and he sees the linen wrappings to the side and he's confused about what's going on at first. And 
Then there's a realization moment as the face cloth is folded by its side and the, the, the carcass of the body that was in this entombed crust has disappeared. How did Jesus get out of this wrappings without someone removing the body somehow? He, 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 was, he was like a mummy, but nothing in it. But the initial moment when he walked in, he, he, where are you? What's happened? The disciples were perplexed because they didn't understand the scripture regarding the resurrection. Thomas, even after all of the disciples had seen him and touched and seen with their own eyes, Thomas still says, I won't believe until I see myself. I wonder how many of us in this room today even though we know Christians and we know people and maybe your loved one walks with the Lord and, but you're like a Thomas. I won't believe until I can touch or put my finger in his hole in his hand and until I see the scar in his... I won't believe until I have a realization moment myself. Do you know what the greatest thing that Jesus said to Thomas and said, greater are those who have yet to, yet to see who believe. That's you and me. We believe and we've seen no physical evidence. We've not been able to touch him. We've not been able to speak with him. But we still believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Why? Because we have faith in what the word of God teaches. And then the Roman soldiers, the Roman soldiers, they turned around and said, hey, you know, uh, let's make up a story. Let's make up something that the world can believe. Let's make up something that the people of our generation, there will be uproar if all of a sudden the, the nation around us believes that Jesus is raised from the dead. There would be, be a riot in the city. There would be a revolution. Do you know what? They, they made a way for a lie. And this is what they said in verse Matthew 28, 11. It says, now while they were going, behold, some of the guard came, to, came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. All the things that had happened. The bright light, the stone rolled away, the angels sat on it. They explained all that had happened and that Jesus was raised from the dead. In verse 12, and when they assembled with the elders and they consulted together, they gave them a large sum of money to the soldiers saying, tell them. His disciples came at night and stole him away while they slept. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews even to this day. It's incredible. Oh, the disciples came at night and they rolled the stone away and they took the body away. So why did they leave? Why did they leave the, the linen wrappings there intact with a folded face cloth? How did they get him out of the mummy? They couldn't do it. But they came up with a story. And there are many who believe the lie that was told and paid for back then. Listen to this. The church didn't create the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Instead, the resurrection of Jesus created the church. It did. Because without the resurrection, there would be no church. 
The church didn't create the story of the resurrection of Jesus. Instead, the resurrection of Jesus created the church. And that is why the church is still here today. His, sac- his sacrifice exceeded all of the Old Testament sacrifices. His sacrifice at Calvary was for every sin, for every person, for all time. And all we need to do is say, I believe that I receive what you did for me. Isn't that incredible? then we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. It's just so great a salvation. Jesus' atoning death satisfied the righteous demands of God the Father. And his resurrection opened a way for believers to enter his presence again. The resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone to our faith. It is the cornerstone. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, I can be healed. Because he lives, I can walk with soundness of mind. Because he lives, I can trust and commit my family and my loved ones knowing that he will move on their behalf. Because he lives, when I pray, I know that he answers. Because he lives, there is forgiveness of sin. Because he lives, there is healing for my body. Because he lives, we just need to continually remind ourselves over and over. It's because of him that I have anything. Even if he did not do another thing for me, because he lives and forgave me of my sin, it is enough. It is sufficient. But there are the benefits of our salvation. He's not here. He is risen today in this place do you believe it do you acknowledge it with your head and your heart or do you live it with your whole being do you acknowledge in part or do we live our lives full on for him come on this is this could be your resurrection morning for you you know In many senses, we can live in part, but he doesn't want just a part. He wants our whole being. He wants all of you, not just a part, but all of you. Because he lives, I want to live for him. He's worthy. He's worthy of it all. Phil, he's worthy of it all, please. Could you just strum away? He is worthy of it all. Because this morning I want to pray for us as a congregation. I want to pray for you as an individual. I want to pray for, for you if you're a visitor. I want to pray for you if you've come in from the, from the event. Yes, I want, to pray. I want to pray for each one of us this morning. I want us to become real before God. I want you to be real. I want you personally right now. God, if you, if you did this for Jesus, if you put Jesus on the cross, if he died for me, 
then I need to live for him. There is no excuses. There's there's no alternative. If he died for me, I want to live for him. I want to give you an invitation to come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today. Why not on Easter Sunday? Why not on resurrection morning? Why not at the end of the passion of Christ this week? Why not in Holy Week? Why not today? If not now, when? When will there be another opportunity? When will you ever have this moment again? You will never have this moment again. Why not take this moment? A carpe diem moment. Seize the moment that you're in. So I'm going to pray. And I'm going to ask the whole congregation just to pray nice and loud together. Because if you're praying it for the first time, we want you to feel comfortable and everyone's going to pray it. And then what I'm going to do at the end of this prayer, I'm going to ask you, if you prayed this prayer sincerely and genuinely and you want Jesus Christ to come into your heart, I'm going to count to three. I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand then pop it back down. We're not going to embarrass anyone. We don't want to call anybody out the front, but we do want to give you a Bible and some literature that will help you in your journey. So church, let's pray. Let's close our eyes this morning. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you for what you did at the cross for me. For me, Jesus. You died for me. And you rose from the dead for me. Today, Jesus, I'm asking you, come into my heart that I may know you, that I may know the power of the resurrection. Jesus, forgive every sin every failure and today I thank you for newness of life in Jesus name Amen while every head is bowed and every eye closed in this room today today the Bible says is the day of salvation to everyone who believes so I'm going to count to three and I'm asking you in your heart if you made that decision if you prayed that prayer and you want Jesus to Christ to be the Lord and the Savior of your life I'm going to ask you to pop up your hand one, two, three if that's you just give me a wave pop your hand up pop it back down thank you I see that hand if there's anybody else in the room why not respond today why not now thank you I see that hand Is there anybody else in the room? It's two people responding to to the call of God in this room. Oh, I don't want to rush, rush this moment because it could change your destiny for eternity. Is there anybody else in this room? You say yes to Jesus. I'm going to count to five. You can respond any moment in those five. Five, four, three, two, one. Father, I thank you for those that have responded to you in this room. Lord, you know of other hearts that are calling out, maybe in the quietness of their own heart. Lord, you know their name. You know the journey of their life. And Father, we thank you today that you died, you 
were buried and you rose from the dead for me and for everyone in this room, but also for the whole world. Lord, I pray that the power of your resurrection, Lord, you said if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead would quicken our mortal bodies. Father, that same spiritual power, Lord, let that same spirit quicken our mortal bodies in this place today. And Lord, I pray that every one of us would live our lives so full on for you. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Holy Week.